1: You're listening to Radio Flange Goblet and coming up now is the Robin Doyle from a shed in Edinburgh sponsored After Movie Diner.
2: You're listening to the sweet sounds of The After Movie Diner. Support us at com forward slash aftermovie diner, or I'll punch you in the teats. Rate and review us on iTunes, Earthling. And now, here's your host, John
1: Cross. Hello, I am your host, John Cross. And I just want to remind everybody that over on YouTube, Facebook, and our website, we have a brand new interview with Brian Trenchard Smith, all about his new book, uh, Adventures in the B Movie Trade, uh, which is available now on Amazon. Links, as always, uh, in the program description on our website. Please do check out the book, it's awesome. And returning guest for the third time, Brian Trenchard-Smith and myself had a wonderful conversation all about it, now available on YouTube, our Facebook page, and on the website. Please do watch, enjoy, share, tell your friends about it, like, comment, rate, and review. Thanks. But Jim and I have been have been uh, uh, chatting briefly about how, uh, at the moment, we're sort of in the rarefied position that because we are um, either smart TV slash Roku slash Apple TV users uh, and, and I myself purchase a lot of streaming services that don't allow uh, advertising. Um, I, every time I'm away, like I currently am, and, and I, I occasionally see cable, either cable news or cable programming or whatever with, with the adverts in it, you, you realize kind of what the, the rest of the world sees all the time and, and what uh, 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 I see only minimally. Um, so the hellscape that the rest of the country is living in kind of makes more sense. Uh, um, but, uh, what, what, what will we say? You said something about like, it is much better just to switch off, but then what was I about to say that I, I have now, I was about to, was about to talk about something.
3: Well, yeah, my bag is here. I've got to go. Uh, <laughs>
1: I've got it. No, no. Here was the thing so you I said I blame the media, right the the news media predominantly, but the media in general because they're all trying to just you know sell pills with hideous after effects to you know bovine middle America but um, you said you blame people and people work in the media, and I'm like. Yeah, okay, I get it. Like we can all sit there and be like, it's this group of idiots or it's this group of people or it's this people of a No
3: no I didn't I don't mean people as in it's this group of people or that group of people. I meant people as in the sense of human nature. Human nature. No no, no
2: totally
3: yeah. No, totally. But my thing is
1: this is that um human nature in its existence doesn't necessarily have a built-in responsibility, whereas a construct such as the news media should have a built-in responsibility. And the reason why I would therefore blame the media outside of just blaming people or individuals is that we are all susceptible to the three for 12 quid deal. And what I, what I mean by that is, when we were back in the day buying VHS tapes from HMV, for example, if we saw a three for 12 deal, we would very often find any old tat to complete that three for 12 quid deal, because even if there was only two tapes that we wanted... We would complete the three for 12 quid deal because it was three for 12 quid. Like, how can you pass that up, right? And if you are constantly, as a way of life, being bombarded with the equivalent of the three for 12 quid deal, which is sure, I'll take this pill that might help with my whatever, but by the same token, I might also get, you know, inflated limbs. Gilling of the neck and face, you know, oranging of the buttocks. Gilling, gilling, like gills forming. Oh, <laughs> uh, it, you know, it, if that's the, the, the deal that you that you make with existence, um, you know, no wonder the world is in the way the state that it's in. But do we blame the people who are susceptible to the three for twelve dollar deal, or do we blame HMV? For, for only allowing two good movies out of ten to be part of the three-for-twelve-quid deal. You know what I mean?
3: But well, I find it interesting that you think that these are different people. Like, I think the people who are susceptible for the three-for-twelve-quid deal work for HMV. No, I... <laughs> I it's, it's not that I think that they're... It's a Venn diagram, dis- mate. It's a Venn diagram. Pe- You've got people who are susceptible to the three-for-twelve-quid deal. Yeah the crossover with people who work for V is almost 100%. <laughs> it's a yeah. smaller subset, right? But Wait, it's it, not like these people are selling something to these people. It's just they're all people. Give them the chance. Right? You know if, what I mean? If someone had it, said to you, if someone had walked up to you in that V where you were going, I've got Fright Night, I've got Candyman, and I don't know, I guess... Hellraiser Five is apparently that might be my best. Right, if at that point an HMV employee came out and said we'd like to hire you to work for HMV to choose the movies to go in this thing and we'll pay you a salary and you get a company car, you'd have bitten their fucking hand off. Right, but that's not how it works.
1: So they're not. The, the, so the two things that are wrong there. First of all, whatever whatever movies that are in the three for twelve quid deal. That has been decided, possibly even at a studio level, but has certainly been decided at a much higher level than the you know lazy hippies that work in HMV. And I account myself as a lazy hippie, so uh, uh, I'm not. That's not derogatory. I'm just stating it. Um, and and the people up the top don't care. They just have 500 copies of Ski School that they need to shift, <laughs> and they know that if they have a premium title like an Evil Dead 2 or a, or a Hellraiser or whatever that someone will buy Ski School in order to, to get Hellraiser and Evil Dead 2 for 12 quid, right? Um, so those people at the top, first of all, they have, an agenda. they have an agenda. Like it's not just, their agenda is not just like, you know, let's see if we can put out a deal and people will buy it. Like they have an agenda and their agenda is, I have to get rid of ski school. I have too many copies of ski school, right? And, and the second thing is, is that uh, um, the, the, the people uh, don't have a responsibility. HMV, if they want to be good purveyors of film, have a, and I agree, a very low level responsibility, but it was in this metaphor that I'm, I'm apparently beating to death, have some level of responsibility... If it was ever
3: alive in the first place.
1: Right. Have some level of responsibility to make sure that every purchase I make in HMV is not ski school.
3: <laughs> right. So what you're saying is you, as an individual, should not be expected to have responsibility over your purchases. But HMV should have responsibility to not sell you crap. No, I well...
1: Yes, but I was using that as a metaphor for the news... Nanny state, mate. That's what you got going on there. No, but I was using that as a metaphor for the news media and the fact that the news media is entirely propped up by a drug industry that wants to sell people crap. And I'm just saying, if you want to stand there being all hoity-toity news media and we're the fourth estate and we're shouting truth to power and blah, blah, blah... You can't also do it while reaping the rewards of a hellish landscape of
3: madness that is... I don't think the news media is... drugs ...like selling, because, like, drugs don't... Drug advertising is very... There's not a lot of money there. It's what's called um, mostly um, DR, right? That's why when you watch, like, VOD or whatever, like anything where the, the show's been up for a long time or will be up for a long time... You know, you get the drug adverts in, or if you watch any of those ad supported things at like two o'clock in the morning, that's what you get. It's not a lot of money though. They're everywhere, but they don't they're not really a premium thing. Because most people don't wanna like most like Nissan or Ford or Burger King or whatever, don't want to advertise in news because it's like um after the break, we'll talk to a man who ate his mother's face and then shit on a picture of the Pope. And then it's like, hey, how about a Burger King? Well, whoa, whoa. so they don't advertise that. So they, the, the reason they have news channels is because they're massive corporations and they uh, want to have a, um, a voice. They want to use the news as a, a way of... Framing the world for their own benefit. It's no less sinister, but they're not, it's not um, money for drugs. All right. Anyway, we're talk about Donald Pleasant's or, anyway, your, sure. like half baked news media theory. Sure.
1: uh hello and welcome to the after movie diner um i'm not even going to attempt to do the not allowed in the diner anymore we're not allowed in diners um and we're not allowed no. in diners because everyone's a fucking asshole uh and we live in some sort of uh, massive hellscape filled with the kind of demonology that uh dario argento could only dream about at this point
3: uh, he dream well, about it, but he
1: couldn't film it
3: convincingly.
1: He couldn't film it convincingly, uh, you know, unless his his daughter was willing to get a top off yet again. But uh, what happened was, is uh, of late, I have been uh, shitting out music, let's just say that. And uh, um, I, we had not done a podcast in a long time because uh, um, various different things have been happening, but basically I've been off. Uh, uh, traveling the Northeast and trying to stay out of New York and try to have some kind of uh, resemblance of a, of a happy existence rather than one where I want to chew my own arm off. And um, and so Very therefore, wonderful. we just haven't got round to it. Um, but off the back of me shitting out a second Donald Pleasance-related album, The Pleasancing 2, colon, The Pull of the Pleasance, um, thank you very much, Eric Kent, for that title. Uh, I, um, Jim wrote to me and was like, uh, I bloody love The Pleasant Thing too. Can we do a season of Pleasant's films on the diner? To which I went, now you are singing my song, uh, Mr. Wallace, uh, but of course we can, and immediately planned to jump on Skype with him, um, which I just think is, is, is wonderful. Uh, so tell us all about the terrible day you were having and how me and my music and how great I am
3: <laughs> saved you. Well, no, it's not so much. It wasn't so much a particular day. It's just um, there's not a lot to feel, um, I don't know, f- is flippant the right word? Carefree about, right? right. To just sort of enjoy something in a carefree way without it being... Um, oh, it's a metaphor for blurg or whatever, right? It's yeah. like everything's a fucking metaphor. and Everything's like, oh, an accurate reflection of the troubling times in which we live. It's like that's fine. They're troubling times. It's great that we're making art that either consciously or unconsciously is reflecting these troubling times. Brilliant. I mean, we're going to be making movies and TV shows about these troubling times. For I mean, Vietnam. How long did Vietnam? I mean, like Vietnam has been a, a, a go-to staple for ages. This particular period of our history. Can you imagine how many terrible movies are going to be made about this? The Oliver Stone ones alone are going to be, un, you know, unbearable. Yeah. Yeah, we are going to get to a point where Nick
1: Cage will play. Oh, Nick Cage!
3: When Trump. he gets to be like seventy, will play Trump. He'll play Trump on the He'll moon. Play He'll play. Cage Trump. is going to play Trump.
1: Cage will play Trump on the moon, fighting demon. Uh, no,
3: no, 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 no. It'll be like endless fucking the weekend when X happened, when he, you know, punched his golf caddy or well, whatever.
1: I, I, I I'm in agreement with you. And in fact, uh, um, I've been watching, Kim and I have been watching uh, Ted Lasso, which I'm not sure you would enjoy because uh, the whole American English football thing, you're probably too close to the whole football thing to necessarily enjoy it. I really liked it, and I really liked it because um, it was exactly what you were talking about. The whole premise of the show is a non-cynical, feel-good, genuinely nice person believes in just being genuinely nice to people, and those people will hopefully be a bit nicer themselves. Like, that's the entire premise of the show. And there's comedy in there and there's drama in there
3: and whatever. But my problem is, right, what is, and I, look. I get what you're saying, but what's underlying that premise is this is new and fresh. Most people are terrible. Maybe if I'm nice, terrible people will be less terrible. No, no, no. It's not. I know you're saying. It's 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 not. But it's impossible to escape from what that is set up against. But but let me just say. What I like about the pleasant thing. this is what I'm saying to you, what I like about The Pleasant Thing is it in no way has anything to do with anything. It's not um, like, oh, well, it's, at least it's not about these troubling times or it's about a, a more optimistic way to live or it's a simpler, you know, whatever. Everything is in opposition to something. But The Pleasant Thing is only, only about Donald Pleasant. It's not even metaphors using pleasants or songs about something else that, like, like, Pleasance is like a surreal part of. None no, that, of that. that's not true.
1: <laughs> Following your father's footsteps is none about something other than Donald Pleasance. No, it's, no,
3: but is that, is that, I'm assuming that's based on some kind of truth. Oh, it's based entirely on Donald Pleasance. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. The songs are about Donald Pleasance right. and the movies that he was in. That's it. It's not, I'm saying he's not like a funny character in a story you made up. It's not like, no. an ironic commentary on whatever it's purely it's there's one dimension to these songs and so you can enjoy that one dimension and then all around it <clears throat> is like a bunch of really catchy tunes in very different styles and so the whole like eclectic nature of the of, like the music the musical style like what carries it through is this very weird through line of i'm gonna sing songs about donald Pleas. And there's no, like, there's no pretensions to metaphor here. I just really, if you're not getting this, I really like Donald Pleasance. And I'm quite happy to sing an entire two albums yeah. just about that.
2: Father's footsteps Give your life to the trains Thomas Stanley Pleasance A station master's name A man of sudden steam God-fearing and strict The passengers lived a dream the tickets crisped and clicked. He never went where they were going. He only stayed to man the gates. They had adventures waiting for them. He accepted his noble.
3: Ooh, the chorus to phenomenon right all yeah. day yeah all
1: no, day no no so so you're right 98% of the album is entirely purely intended to be here is a song about Donald Pleasance. what i what, there there is a couple of tracks on the album or, t- or two or three places on the album where much in the kin of the mountain goats for charles bronson where the the song for Charles Bronson is just about Charles Bronson. Like it's just about things we know about Charles Bronson. It's not really about anything deeper, but from the song for Charles Bronson, you can pull a lot of your own stuff from that and, and apply it to humanity. Right? So there were certain things in uh, following your father's footsteps, um, especially, and also uh, the, the last track, uh, never Say No, um, and Scouse the Mouse a little bit. But there were certain things in there where I was like consciously writing something. This is a song about Donald pleasant This is a song completely torn from his Wikipedia page. But it's a thing following in your father's footsteps, for example, and the, the, the kind of... Um, pathos that comes from that and the emotion that comes from that oh,
3: it's a beautiful song It, it was... what i'm saying the beautiful thing about it is because you're right of course there's you know there's you can identify with them even in the songs about pleasance right when you're just singing about <laughs> raw meat or whatever even then what you identify with is like a certain level of a simple love of a movie because it's a bit goofy or an actor because for whatever reason you really like, like, there's a fandom there that you can identify with. It's not just doesn't. So all of that does exist. And in the following of all footsteps, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful story. It's very well told, but at a certain level, it's about a Wikipedia entry. About Donald Pleasance and his life. And yes, you can like pull things from it, but I'm saying you're not singing the song about Donald Pleasance. Pleasance's life to make a point no you know what I mean? you're not using the story of Pleasants and his dad to make a point no you're singing a truthful story about Pleasance and his dad and whatever you want to take from that because it's truthful and you're not trying to be like ironic about it or whatever then there are definitely truthful things that clearly you found in it as well and that comes across that's why it's a great song but that's what it is yeah, no, no, completely. And the and the ones
1: that are about movies like Raw Meat and Phenomena and
2: uh uh nice care, two.
3: And, and The oh, Caretaker. Such great songs. Raw Meat is a great one. Phenomena is currently my favourite just because I fucking love the chorus to that song. It's yeah. so good. <laughs>
2: and can't stand all oh good, your best friend is a monkey, well actually anger is a chimpanzee and chips and monkeys are very different you see, well la de da science and science la
1: Are really just about the movies, like I, you know. F- for anyone who wants, um, and I don't know how deep you want to kind of get into talking about my album and how great I am,
3: but uh, <laughs> pretty deep, mate. I'm the one who suggested the fucking Skype chat. Yeah, true. Um,
1: but I, so I, uh, a Bandcamp have been doing these first Fridays, and um, I knew because I had True A Crime, which was my previous, more serious album, uh, almost in the bag, that I was like, well, that'll come out in September. Um, uh, And I was finishing it up in August. And the first Friday in August was coming up. And I was like, for whatever reason, like I remember it was Monday night. We were sat downstairs and I was struck with this idea of, actually, I have two or three songs I wouldn't mind writing right now. And within that week leading up to the first Friday in August, I wrote that five song uh, EP, Here We Are. Uh, So Here We Are. Um, And that was just meant to be like, I'll I'll just put something out for first Friday because I know that in September I have Truer Crime coming along. And Truer Crime is going to be the the big album release that's going to have all the contributors on it and the collaborations. And I've worked on it for eight months and it's a whole thing. And then I had two collaborations that I've been planning for November and December that may or may not happen, but I kind of have them in the background. So I had sort of said to myself, well, October, I'm not going to really do anything. We've been traveling around and uh, 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 Truer Crime is still kind of out there and I'm trying to promote it and everything because that's really the album that I spent a lot of time over. Um,
3: But the one I want to talk about is the one that took you two and a half days.
1: Right. So what <laughs> happened was, it's much akin with what happened with So Here We Are, is somewhere around midday Tuesday of the lead up to the f- final Friday. And bear in mind that the, the for first Friday, not final Friday, sorry, for first Friday, I have to have the album uploaded at like midnight So what wants the
3: be for the whole Fridays thing? I'm not, I don't follow. So
1: Bandcamp first Friday's, um, they are uh, waiving their fees. So if you have an album on Bandcamp, Bandcamp's still the best game in town in terms of paying for uh, paying an artist. So you put an album up for ten bucks, for example. Uh, Bandcamp takes a dollar, PayPal takes a dollar to to uh, process the, the thing, and then you get about eight bucks. It's still the best deal in town for like selling an album. What Bandcamp have been doing since um, COVID hit? It's the first Friday of every month from uh, 3 a.m. Eastern Time to 3 a.m. the following Eastern Time because it's midnight to midnight Pacific, basically. Um, BankCamp have been waiving their fees. So outside of the 8% or whatever it is PayPal takes, um, you get everything else. So uh, BankCamp is not making any money off uh, uh, those first Fridays. And it, it has built up this culture of, uh, either musicians releasing stuff specifically on that Friday to kind of get notices or whatever, or musicians doing a thing where they're like, Hey, buy my album on first Friday and I'll donate all the money, which I did for the first few album, first, uh, batch of music that I did in 2020, uh, shambles and a couple of others. Um, uh, or it's led to to it's or it's led to people supporting musicians that they wouldn't support otherwise, just because it's kind of a thing, you know, and and because most albums on Bandcamp are really like five bucks, six bucks, seven, bucks, they're not breaking the bank. Most first Fridays, I have, uh, you know, bought albums by other artists, either buy albums who uh, buy out, bought albums by friends who had already put music out, or just because I've been part of. Um, the shows that my friend Holly puts on or the shows that my friend Scott puts on where I'm being introduced to new music, very often I'm like, ah, oh, I like this track. I'll go buy the album for five bucks on Bandcamp because why not pay it forward, right? So off the back of that, as Matt Farley would say, deadlines are really good. Deadlines are just really good for creativity. They just really are. Um, and what happened with uh, So Here We Are, which was really just a kind of stepping stone to wait till Tour of Crime came out, once True Crime came out, I was like, well, I'm not going to do anything in October. And then typically lunchtime Tuesday of uh, the week leading up to the uh, first Friday in October, last Friday, um, I suddenly was like, oh, here's a couple of ideas for some songs about Donald Pleasance. And I had been threatening to do like the Pleasant thing 2 for a long time, and I knew that it had a kind of built-in audience uh, because a lot of my friends are like, we think The Pleasant Thing is like the best thing you've ever done because it's ironic and silly and film-based and people love like random ideas like that um, over shit that I actually slave over and try and make perfect. People don't I'm care. I'm sorry
3: that I'm one of those people. People don't care
1: about that so much. But no, The Pleasant Thing 2 had something built in and I'm like, <clears throat> can I write 10 songs about Donald Pleasance in the next two and a half days? And it was funny because I'm... I'm sat in the kitchen where I'm normally set up at home these days, um, writing songs and recording them. And Kim is like, haven't you done enough? And I'm like, oh, no, I'm only up to eight. I need to do two yes. more. She's like, why do you need to do two more? Like, it's <laughs> the Pleasant thing too. <laughs> and, you've really, and I'm like, because in my head, an album about Donald Pleasance has to have at least 10 tracks
3: on it. It's just it's a nice dice. Well, I know what you mean. Round number. I remember when they did the beatrice and the wolf one the fact that i stopped at six is a, is a source of constant you know personal shame right well
1: because not only that but you're like um if the first pleasant sing album had 10 tracks on it and the second pleasant sing album only had eight tracks on it
3: it's like a defeat it's like admitting. So wait, wait, now i'm curious what were the last two what did i nearly not hear Oh, uh, good question. I think the last
1: two I wrote were raw meat, but that's a cracker, and I think four wives done. I
3: think. Oh, those are those are two of my favourite. Four wives done yeah. is really good. I really <laughs> like four wives done. It's very kinksy. Four wives done. Four wives done. Four
2: wives done. What you gonna done with four wives done? I mean, I've had two, and others I don't had. Two. off you? Is it that you're too much poor man for one woman to handle? Or is it that your eyes just like to wander? Four wives gone, four wives gone, what you gonna done with four wives gone? I mean four is quite a
1: lot, certainly more than most but four wives gone. what went wrong? Well, well the whole thing about four, those... sorry let me just finish, but, but if the Donald Pleasant Sing 2 had only eight tracks on it, what I would be saying even if Donald Pleasant Sing 3 had twelve tracks on it. If, if the Pleasant Thing Two only had eight tracks on it, it, right, would be it, would, be, it
3: would forever be a thorn in your side. It would, yeah, I would thorn. forever
1: be admitting that there isn't more to say about the Pleasants, and there is clearly
3: more to say about the Pleasants. That so, is, I mean, the fact that you, when I was <laughs> listening to it, it wasn't just that I was struck by. I can't believe you wrote ten songs in two and a half days. Which is, by the way, just on its, you know, outside of being Matt Farley that's not even possible and also it's not as if um it's not like you're just you know using the same instruments or basically kind of plowing the same furrow and making shit up as you go like they're all really well crafted tunes they're short they're punchy they're catchy there's a whole weird, like, oh, fuck it, I'll just do this, right? I've got no time to think about it. So this one's going to have a weird disco vibe. And I'm not even going to second-guess myself. I'm just going to go for it. So that whole spirit of improvisational adventure... That like shoots through the whole album. And even when it's like, I'm going to do like a song about Pleasant his dad, and it's going to be quite serious and quite touching. And and while I'm writing it, I'm, you know, it's going to be quite an emotional, like the figure at the end, the back and forth between the fans. That's like a beautiful moment there. And it's not as if you like one day had that idea. You know, you, you were like Gordon Downey, like leaving a message on his own answer phone when he had an idea for a song or whatever, right? but like actually just in the moment and the whole albums like that. So the fact that it's all tied to, if it was like, oh, I'm going to write a song about living in New York or i oh, sorry, an album about living in New York or you know the times we live in, then it would have been, I don't know. It would have been much more all over the place in a bit, well, whatever. But the fact that it's all tied to this, like it's got to be about Donald Pleasance and not in a, well, it, he's going to make it. Cause I was expecting it to be like more like brief appearances or, Silly songs where he's a character in them But they're not, they're all like, it's either about How much you love Donald Pleasance The films Donald Pleasance has been in Or the life, the real life of Donald Pleasance But it's all like And every single song is really Every single song Is catchy and great There's not one to be skipped over there In the whole bunch, and I was properly Expecting, if I'm honest In in an album you wrote in two and a half Days, of ten songs about Donald Pleasance, to find myself Drifting off halfway through a couple, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And potentially pressing the, the the skip button. I'm not afraid to admit that that's what I was thinking. But instead, every song, every song on the album that I was listening to, it got to the song I was going, I can't believe this is another banger. I can't <laughs> believe he's written another cracker. Thank you yeah. know? It was really great. I just think it's a really like I said, I'm sorry to be the one that, you know, gets more out of it. It's not because it's ironic either. I just in my humble opinion, it's just—I I don't know—I I like how eclectic and free, and it's not that it's silly; it's just um, it's boisterous and um, and just really fun to listen to. And there's a there's like a really nice, um, honest desire to entertain underpinning the whole thing. That I don't know—I just—I just really like.
2: Free, hanging above my desk. It's a done of pleasants, and it brings me good luck. Sometimes I sit and look at it, but inspiration and it always comes. Sometimes on a bike, and sometimes by a truck. Been hanging there since the day my friend Jim found it And presented it to me on the Upper East Side Since then I've been a devotee of the Pleasance
1: No, but I, to, to kind of go back to what you were saying uh, uh, earlier about just entertainment in general... I I agree with the only reason I brought up the Ted Lasso thing is because we were watching it and it came to an end and it just felt like nice. It just felt like cozy, nice. I've watched a cozy, nice thing. And I realized in watching it that while I would never stop anyone creating something that is earnestly trying to... uh, deliver a message shed light on something uh, help you know uh, 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 an oppressed minority or whatever it is the, while, while, while all worthy filmmaking or TV making or whatever is, is is completely understandable and 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 in in many cases educational and 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 decent to be making the entertainment for entertainment's sake the thing that gets lost so much, the sheer joy and sheer silliness of just creating is invaluable. Like, and I'm not talking about the pleasant thing now. I'm just talking about in general, entertainment for entertainment's sake, art for art's sake, music for music's sake. We're so bombarded. This plays into the theme of of what we were talking about at the beginning of the media. We are so bombarded at all occasions wherever we are in the world, whenever we are in the world, whatever we turn on in the world, with the world, right? Social media, especially has brought the world into our living rooms with both barrels full of, you know, bags of flaming dog shit. And on, on a daily basis, spray us with flaming bags of dog shit. And while something, while a TV show or a musical album or a film that says, Aghast the fucking bags of flaming dog shit is perfectly valuable, an album that also says, Oh, did you know over here, away from dodging the bags of flaming dog shit, <clears throat> there's a life of this balding character actor from England, Donald Pleasance, and it's kind of quite cozy and it's kind of quite interesting, and maybe you just look at that for, like, 58 minutes, yeah, and it's then not you can go back not, to the flaming bags of dog
3: shit. It's not a prism with, you know, <laughs> that you can look through and understand the world, but it's no, there's no prism. Stop. I mean, you can imagine, like, if you gave this to some arsy like, film critic from the New Yorker or a music critic from the New Yorker. Kurt like, maybe. Trying to, like crowbar in, like, some kind of prism, you know? What I mean? it's yeah. going, but what if it's not? What if it's the opposite of that? What, what if it's the opposite of a prism? What yeah. if it's prismless? You know what I mean? What he's done by taking an actor that has the same first
1: name as Donald Trump is really shine a light Remind us on... <laughs> that there are Donalds
3: <laughs> that aren't Which, to be fair, is not a... You know, that's not a bad... That's not a bad thing.
1: The, the present thing, on? too... The Pull of the pleasants
3: reminds you that there are some Donalds in the world (laughs) that aren't (laughs) fuckers. Right, which I I think think is, you know, something that people need to hear. It's a valuable thing. What what interests me too about it is that thing of, like, um, clearly, you know, you've been... um, Like you, you said about True Crime, that you feel like your songwriting skills are you know, so much better and they're really, you know, honed and you're writing the best stuff of your career. And I well, I think one of the things I enjoyed the most about *Persons Sing 2 is bringing that certainty of your own um, ability to something that you were just going to, like, toss off, you know, like those, those albums that, like, I'm trying to think of a good example, but... Um, you know, sometimes people like toss off albums in like a week or whatever and they're complete masterpieces because they're so good at what they do that when they sort of free themselves from I want to do this or I want to do that and they just do something it's you know like I don't know like Derek and Clive a little bit maybe I guess I don't know but so I'm trying to think of a good I know that there's musical examples of like people because well, it's, it's oh, the pressure
1: the, the pressure is off like yeah. when I when I do a there, there were kind of two like comedy furrows that I tend to do musically at this point. One is albums about Donna Pleasance and one of my Christmas songs. And there are two areas where there's absolutely no pressure. I'm not holding the Pleasant Sing 2 up against Where Our Hearts Can Be a Shambles or True a Crime, both of which I consider the two best albums I've ever written. The Pleasant Sing 2... I like I get huge amounts of fun from like the disco track I've listened to a hundred times because I can't believe I wrote a disco track and not only wrote a disco track because it's one thing to write a track that's a bit like were disco, but produced and recorded a track that sounds like a disco track. It's not just me doing a disco beat; it's with synthesizer. It sounds like a disco track and i'm like
3: i don't know how i did that but it was super fun fucking doing <laughs> yeah. and that's what, and, that, and that spirit pervades the whole album and i think that's why i enjoyed it so much. you know it's, it's not that, yeah it's not about like good or um, uh, worthy or anything it's just for like like i said in the moment um, it's not not always a particularly bad day or anything but in the world in which we live I want to have to deal with every day and how intense like life is and work is. And, and I'm just, I'm sick to the back teeth of intensity. So to put on some music that was just the very opposite of intensity and was just pure entertainment, but really well done. Not, um, not like half assed or tossed off, you know, but just free of all constraints except natural, a natural talent for telling a story and being entertaining and making a good tune. I'm just, you know, I just, I really, really liked it. Well, thank you, man.
2: Put on a show and at the end of it Blow them all a kiss There is magic waiting out in the unknown There are places where we both should have grown Grab each and every opportunity In Hollywood or Italy Dino Peasants We are talking Dino Peasants Never say you're busy Never turn down a part Knowing that every single one of them You'll hit right out the park Never ask what the budget is Keep your name somewhere on the poster Play the game within the biz Know the words and show up on time In Australia or somewhere on the Rhine Donald Pleasants talking dino presents we're celebrating dino presents we're talking
3: So we should talk about we should talk about raw meat though, right? Because we've been we've been banging on for about an hour, and I probably should go in like twenty minutes. I'm gonna go. Yeah, and let's talk uh, about raw meat or death line.
0: Join us today during the Jeep Celebration Event right now get twenty percent below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a twenty twenty three Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland four xe or Summit four xe not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 41. Jeep is a registered trademark.
1: Just the last point I would make for anyone out there who's looking to just write album or write music in general. Um, the uh, weird side benefit of both Wikipedia and IMDb's trivia sections is that they are such fruitful areas for ideas. Because whether you are writing a song strictly about Donald Pleasance and therefore you just Google Donald Pleasance and look up absolutely everything you can on Donald Pleasance until something goes, oh, ping, that's a song idea. Um, Or... If you are like you're writing a song about something and a theme starts emerging in the song, like uh, one of the tracks on True Crime is all about um, uh, the original like industrial uh, uh, or the advent of uh, industrial food marketing and and all the packaging and all the uh, intricacy that went into like the original birth of like mass produced food and whatever. Um, and I was writing a song all about, like, industry and all that kind of stuff. And being able to go to Wikipedia and, like, Google, you're like, oh, shit, I need something that rhymes with, like, corned beef or whatever. And then you Google, like, corned beef kings of the 50s. And you find, like, these two people who who started out, like, corned beef. And they had this whole thing. And then they sold their life's work to Nestle and this whole thing. And you're able to be like, oh, my God, there's a whole idea here that plays into this theme and da 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 Wikipedia and IMDB trivia sections. If you're ever lacking an idea but you really want to write some music, I strongly recommend those as two fertile sources of ideas.
3: But well, speaking of which, <clears throat> when I looked up raw meat um, on on Wikipedia. Yes. Marlon Brando was supposed to be the American? Right. Isn't Marlon that insane? Brando? How the hell did he sign on for this?
1: Yeah, I have no idea. I don't, was he meant to be the American or was he meant I to think be... So. He was? I thought he was meant to be the sidekick. I thought he was meant to be like Pleasance's sidekick.
3: Well, either way, that's insane. <laughs> of
1: course. I mean, I can only assume that Gary Sherman was like pals with him or something or had met him at a dinner party and was like, I have this idea about cannibals on the underground. And Marlon Brando was like, I love it, I'll do it.
3: Where do you need me to be? I mean, I don't know. I have to say, my biggest problem with Raw Meat, though, is that sentence you just said. What's that? Well, he didn't have an idea about cannibals on the underground, did he? He had an idea about cannibal on the underground.
1: Right, yes. No, the, 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 the thing with Raw Meat and Deathline is this, and I will state this very clearly. And one of the reasons why I both like it But also one of its one one, it highlights its shortcomings. It's entirely, entirely propped up on Pleasance's performance. If you did not have Pleasance, irascibly cockneying it up all over the shop, it wouldn't be a fun movie. Now there are some, you know, quasi decent and certainly. uh, quasi-decent set pieces that certainly inspired, you know, stuff like uh, um, American Werewolf in London and stuff years later. Um, there's certainly some pretty gruesome gore. Uh, there's certainly, if you watch the uncut anyway, there's certainly some nice atmospheric underground London, you know, big cavernous tunnels and whatever kind of shots. But outside of Pleasance and Christopher Lee's cameo, everyone else in the movie could be replaced by a fucking egg on a stick. <laughs> like, the, you know, the, the one joy of this movie is the fact that Pleasance has decided to play his copper, which on the page is just like, you know, Inspector Calhoun, you know, shambolic copper who saves the day. He's decided to play it, as an irascible tea drinking Cockney, you know, working class chap, um, that that allows for this, you know, underpinning and subplot that kind of plays on the British class structure um, within the movie, uh, and it, and and Pleasance like fleshes that out in a much better way by being. Who he is, and the only reason I've watched this movie as many times as I have is because Pleasance is an absolute joy to watch in this film, like from start to finish. And the, the you know, the fact that Christopher Lee signs on, like Christopher Lee signed on for the cost of a ham sandwich and half a pack of love. Yeah, hearts. he played it for scale, and he did it just to work with Pleasance. You know, which shows just like what esteem Pleasance was held in in terms of his acting chops and the fact that every time he comes to these roles where he's playing, you know, a a doctor or, you know, a copper or a professor or one of these things, every time he comes to one of these roles that would be very mundane for another actor, he decides, I don't know, I'm going to do this accent or I'm going to wear this hat or... I'm going to be miserable about tea, or whatever it is. Like, he finds something to to elevate the part way beyond the station of the movie.
3: Well, on the other hand, um, I'm not sure if you know this, but according to the Village Voice, this is a better film than Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, it's, not, no, it's not, though. No, it's well, not. I'm, No. I'm, I'm pretty sure it is, because <laughs> some guy in the Village Voice <laughs> talked about how... I don't know what the metaphor is, but there definitely is one. Okay, well then, that doesn't really work as a film then, does it? Like, By Living Dead has a really great metaphor, which again, is not immediately graspable, but there's, you know, there's something there. But there's nothing here, except, like you say, there's something about a class thing, except it doesn't really work, because the only reason Mr. Cannibal kills the bloke with the bowler hat um, is because he's, you know, up for a bit of slap and tickle down the tube but everybody else he's killed and eaten is somebody normal so that doesn't work it, 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 you know what i mean if he if if they'd done the film in a way that the underground station was like bank or you know what i mean somewhere in the city and all he was doing was taking out or like Whitehall, or i, I can't think of what the Whitehall chief station would be um anyway yeah. wherever it would be but somewhere he's taking like out, out like embankment or something yeah, like t- he's taking out government types or um, you know, or rich people or whatever. Like I could I could see that, right? But it's not it's just other than that one dude, Mr. OBE bloke, everybody he kills is like and eats is normal. And there's something about like the like the being like the last like there's something I think the problem with the movie personally is that most horror films like this would have some kind of a some kind of a metaphor they would try to say something and you'd have Pleasance in it doing his pleasant thing and you'd have like the metaphor of like eat the rich or whatever right and then you'd have a couple of uh, set pieces gloomy London in the seventies you know and you'd have a cracking movie but it's it feels more like they didn't really care about the metaphor enough to push it and it's really what he cares about is like the fairy tale aspect of it like these like the last survivors of this, um, like of, of a of a species almost. Right, he's almost like a troll under a bridge or something. Like one of those um, Beauty and the Beast kind of like. Yeah, he's a monster, but he's the last of his species, and but there's kind of, there's empathy there and 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 pathos about about this, you know, and like you know he's, he's he is a monster and he like murders people for, like I mean he know he murders like three working stiffs on the underground. Like there's no, it feels like that whole class thing, although that's what we're we're doing with the Pleasance and Lee and the OBE thing. But like, it's, it's just, it's not actually, if you step back and think about the movie, it's not really that as a metaphor. Not no, really.
1: I wasn't saying that it was a metaphor in terms of like an eat the rich thing, but uh, it was more that,
3: no, I know what you mean. By the way, about about the way Pleasance plays it and what Pleasance is concerned about, and how he views the whole crime and the whole situation. I think you're right that there's he it, he elevates like there's there is meaning there. There's something going on in that his reaction to it. That's true, but that's not outside of him. It doesn't really exist, and that's that's why it's a bit it's a bit flat and empty because it's just it's not an interesting enough um thing for a horror movie if you're there to be like scared and freaked out and laugh and all the things you want to do in a horror movie and instead it's this kind of like very slow um fairy tale like thing about like a a, the last of uh, you know last of a monstrous creature um just kind of reaching out and there's like nothing there and it's and it is sad in parts but it's just you know being sad doesn't Mean being good, and the fact that after this he went on to make crappy horror films instead of, um, like, I don't know, like interesting fairy tales suggests that I don't know. I can't I can't figure out why. You'd almost think he would go the other way, like he was slumming it to make a horror film, or that he wanted to make something else. But then all he did was make crappy horror films after. That, so I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I, I, I think that there is uh, um, there's something in the movie. I, I'm certainly not going to attribute it with with you know some sort of like you say broad metaphor or whatever. There are certain things in the movie that are uh, inherently interesting. I think that the, the the movie itself is like you say slow. I find it unnecessarily grim. Because um, you have to kind of go two ways with the, the cannibal. You either go um, the empathy route uh, where they're really just trying to survive and he's trying to keep his, his woman alive and, and so on and so forth. Um, in which case, don't go quite so exploitatively grisly with the, the gore. Or you go with the full-blown drooling monster who doesn't have any heart and isn't trying to save anyone, but is simply a monster who lives in a tunnel and is picking people off and killing them, and in which case, go as exploitatively grisly as you like.
3: Um, and you this- can still throw in like a few moments, right? Like, the great thing about horror film is you could be exploitatively grisly for most of the movie and then throw in a couple of moments where. You know he he's he's a bit sad or like there's a connection and then you've got all you need like it only you know what I mean that needs to happen like brief flashes for it to be effective. You don't have to film the whole thing as like by the way this is you know sad and then go oh, I guess I better make it exploitative or people won't care because then you're you get then then you're just being tricked into like watching something like that's too slow.
1: Yeah, I mean I suppose there's something in in it about. Um you know about uh, people being ignored, either people being ignored or people being um, hindered by the upper classes, um, and there, there there is a little bit to be kind of threaded. Ignored, yes, yeah, because like bit.
3: they have a lot of time. Like they get, you know, they're ignored by pleasants. The one, the one bit of the movie I didn't care for, like I, that I really didn't care for, was Um, because it felt like out of character and a pointless like setup to a finale was when the american bloke runs to pleasant and says she's been kidnapped or no not that she's been kidnapped but she disappeared in that tube station um blah blah. and it felt like at that point pleasant should have taken him seriously or like done something and you know he still could have chucked him out and done something but he kind of threw him out and then sat there and drank his tea, and that felt like that doesn't feel like pleasant to me. Like he—he's the one that knows there's something dodgy going on in the underground. In the end, he only seems to care about like the girl and and what's going on down there because he gets to like rub Christopher Lee's face in it. Like I'll—I'll I mean, I'll solve the murder of the OBE guy. He doesn't even care about anybody else, and that feels very like not right for him. Like like you say. He anchors the whole movie, not the American thing. So if he ends up being like a tool of the your rather clumsy metaphor, then that diminishes Pleasance as a character. You know, it feels like he should be more, he's supposed to be above all that, right? Right. Not like feeding into it. And it feels like he plays it for most of the movie as being above all that. And then right at the end, like feeds into it because he only cares about it because he gets to solve the bowler hat guy. He doesn't care about the girl. That just doesn't. That doesn't. It didn't feel right to me. That bothered me.
1: Yeah. No. I I understand that, and I, I would I would agree with that to some extent. Um, I, I think the the biggest fault with this movie are the two so-called young leads, the the male lead and the female lead, and the reason why I think uh, the director leans so heavily on the. The Pleasance and his psychic dynamic is because the the lead female and the lead male are you know so appalling. I mean, they really are. They're Robin Asquith levels of awful.
3: And hey, now steady on. <laughs> don't go throwing the Asquith around. I mean,
1: really nearly. No, true. I mean, they they're, they're kind of like half Asquith, half
3: Blucas. Yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. Like they're, they're definitely they're trying to give it the full Asquith, but, you know, without being, the thing about Asquith is underneath his like cheeky, chappy persona is clearly like the cold, flinty soul, (laughs) do you know what I mean, of a psychopath. (laughs) Right. Right. So you you can't fake that. By the way, I I should say, I did actually, (laughs) I did actually enjoy watching the movie. I didn't sound like I did at all, but I really did. A, because you're right, Pleasance is a is a real hoot in it. I love him digging out tea bags from his from his his uh, teacups with with darts. Um, I like that he's always like joking around. I love the scene with um, you know him and Lee, and I love the dynamic with him and the sidekick and him and the doctors and like that whole thing is like yeah, I can easily watch like Calhoun of the Yard. You know what I mean? Um, from now until the end of time, it would be great. And I liked. I, sometimes I like being reminded of how fucking grim like London was in the 70s and the 80s. And even like when we were teenagers, like early 90s, it was a grim fucking place. And, you know, like the, the everything was crumbling and old and crap and um, everyone was cold. And, and I love that bit when he's going. One of my favorite bits is when the American guy is looking for his girlfriend. And he goes like through the places that are open in London, you know what I mean, at night after the tube shut, and it's like a fish and chip shop and a chemist and like a hardware store, as far as I could tell. But then we so like these places just don't fucking exist anymore, you know? Yeah. And in, and how the, you know, and how the, the trains are like wobbly and shit. And um, I, I don't know, like I'm just I being reminded of, of that is sometimes um, I don't know. It feels kind of fun to go time traveling back to when, Well,
1: I was was having this discussion the other day. It's sort of the English-American discussion. But, you know, the the, the dichotomy of, like, living in America is that, on one hand, because their attitude is, you know, everything's got to be the best. It's got to be the biggest. It's got to be the shiniest. It's got to be the most expensive. And they have this, like, you know, mentality about it. Stuff actually gets done. However... They have no mechanism for dealing when things are just a bit crap. You know what I mean? So everything is either really great and the best thing that's ever been or, you know, the worst kind of hell you can possibly imagine. They don't have the ability to just deal with things that are just a bit crap because (laughs) they've never eaten in a roadside little chef. Like they've
3: never... (laughs) Yeah. They've never tasted You nice- have no bland <laughs> grey hopelessness. You know it's not it's not fair. No It's not fair. It's hope it's like the absence of hope. Right.
1: But also you've never sat down in a in a a, a, um, a greasy spoon calf and had a cup of lukewarm tea.
3: In a cup that clearly, and that that's probably as good as your day is <laughs> going to get, and that is the fucking highlight. Right. Is going. I wish for tea was hotter. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the worst it's going to get. That is the day's highlight. But so that's why the, the whole the whole film reminds you of how London used to be: a cup of lukewarm, weak tea. Right. You know, just kind of crap. But how?
1: But how? See, and and this is the thing, is that from a from a, a, a psychology standpoint, it's not going to produce the next, like, Apple iPod or whatever because everyone's just going to be like, oh, fuck it, I'll be an accountant. But yeah. they're, they're not going to like. No one's innovating anything in English. However, it does mean that when the shit hits the fan, we have a certain, like... We almost find it nostalgically charming. Right. <laughs> we have this kind of, like, rosy... Uh, uh, um, uh, rosy tint uh, glasses to something that's a bit crap. You know what I mean? And, and we don't tend to... Although I think it's probably a bit different now because I feel like we've become, uh, uh, you know, uh, infected with the same um, media disease that everyone else has. But we 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 don't... Uh, we didn't used to run around like everything was on fire if things were just a bit crap. We just were like, well, it's a bit crap... Of course it's a bit crap. That's what it is. Like the Royal Mail or British Rail were just a bit crap. But they but they were like, the letter got there eventually and the train got you there eventually. And you didn't question what you were sitting on that was brown and <laughs> squidgy. You were just like, it's a British Rail train and the seats are brown and squidgy and we'll just accept it. And like, it's a bit crap. But I think that, that gives us a certain... Uh, um, Joie de vie that is that is lacking elsewhere yeah, I, I
3: think I think I think that's fair we don't, it. it's it's
1: like the pleasant thing we don't put pressure on ourselves to create greatness you know every time out the gate. sometimes it just it just happens if a little bit of greatness squeezes through we'll take it we'll take it mate it's fine you know what I mean it's it's yeah so that's that's what I think like the raw meat death line thing it's it's a bit crap but Pleasance is the kind of you know, grumbly cockney chappy that's going to carry me through it. And that's fine. That's enough. That's my lukewarm tea.
3: Well, I, I, think, that's a good, I think that's a good place to leave it, if that's right mate. <laughs> I've got to go and be shy. I think it's a splendid way to tie the Pleasant thing and Deathline and the meaning of life all together in one sentence. So well, just congratulations for doing that, as well <laughs> as producing a barnstorming album. And I hope you now will cut to um, playing a um, Deathline. Well, uh, the,
1: the raw meat me deathline boogie
3: yeah raw meat raw meat
2: me. also Just... known as deathline
3: yeah I <laughs> missed <laughs> great ooh, 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 phenomenon <laughs> so good <laughs> anyway play 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 raw meat and um uh, have a think about what you want to watch uh, next week we will do chief
1: all right, it was really fun, man. Good, good times talking to you, man. Take care. Well, have
3: a great, have a great rest of the holiday. Um, actually, I'm away next week on holiday too. Okay. Um, so maybe the week after that. Yep, yeah, sounds great. Take care, man. Really good to see you. Good
1: to see you too, man. Take care. Bye now. Yeah, man. Bye. Long after train stopped running, there's something lurking in the tunnels looking to pick off random hippies. It's got a thirst for flesh, so don't become a cropper. The only man to stop him is a working class copper, Inspector Calhoun. He's played by Donald Pleasant, this is his manner, and he's gonna catch the killer. He's got a cup of tea, but he's got no biscuit for dunking. He's hanging out with Christopher Lee, who took a paker just to work with him. The secret of the tunnels, it really is a whopper, and the only one to figure it out is a working class clopper. Raw meat,
2: raw meat, raw meat, raw meat. It's also known as that line, that line. Raw meat, raw meat. It's also known as. Death-
1: Thing is quite tragic and quite a grisly affair But Pleasance picks the whole thing up With his smashing Cockney flair He's got an ill fitting hair And his irascible performance is a real showstopper Yeah, Donald perfectly
2: cast As this working class copper Raw meat Raw meat Raw meat a meat. It's also known as that line. Deadline. meat. Raw meat. It's also known as Deadline line. That line. Raw meat. Raw meat. Raw meat. The bulls in the underground, well what will they think of next? The whole business got the fuzz and some random hippies really quite vexed. But there's one thing they didn't count on when it comes to catching a rot. And that's the tenacity and cups of tea of a working class chopper. Raw meat, a raw meat, a raw meat. The wrong meat. It's also known as deadline. Deadline line.
3: meat.